I pray that you have enjoyed your time and that you felt at home if you're a guest. And uh, if you're a regular attender, thank you for being here. And again, I do hope that you had a good Thanksgiving. How many of you went Black Friday shopping? A handful. How many of you went on Thursday? Fun times. I went on Friday because we needed a Christmas tree. And so I went to Hobby Lobby. Yes, I went to Hobby Lobby and uh, got a tree. I was there for about 10 minutes. About seven of those were waiting for them to get the tree out of the back. And then I was home. So that was good. But uh, again, thank you for being here. I do hope that you had a good Thanksgiving. I had a great Thanksgiving with my family, and um, we were able to spend time. I know a number of you were, had family that came in town, and I know some that went out of town to be with family, but uh, I do pray that you had a good time with your family, and, and maybe you spent time with friends or whatever that would be, but I do pray that you had a good Thanksgiving. And we are going to be starting into a new series Today, for just the next few weeks, as we go into, as we're in that Christmas season, um, we just finished out in thanks, and we talked, uh, if you were with us the last few weeks, we talked about thanks, and we did a number of different things from the heart of thanks, and, and then truly the greatest means of giving thanks. And, and as we go into Christmas, I think one of the things for me has always been, and I've just been kind of fascinated with, um, as long as I, I, I guess really it's kind of started in college, but... Um, I've always been fascinated with the names of Christ. I don't know, you may go, what, you're weird, that's strange, but if, if you've ever read through Scripture, there is so many times throughout Scripture that Christ or God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or you could go forever and ever and ever, there's so many different names that are used for, for Jesus Christ or for God. Or, and so as I was thinking through going into the Christmas season, I know we often hear the different Christmas stories, and, and uh, we'll go through some of those things, but I kept in my mind just kind of thinking about that, the names of Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to get into and we're going to dive into some of the different names of Christ, and we'll study through some of them and what they mean and, and why they were used and, and a number of different things about that. And uh, really the, the, the gist of the next few weeks is we're not going to look into all of the names of Christ. Uh, I don't know if um, on the screen there's a picture with a number of different names of Christ, and we have a whole bunch of them, but um, it's, those are some, and I know there's, some of them are hard to read and different things, but you can go through. There's so many different names of Christ. And, and as we, we go through these next few weeks, I want to just really spend some time on the, the birth names of Christ and some of the names that were given um, as Christ was born and, and leading up to even the prophetic names of Christ. And so what I'm going to do this morning is if we, if you, you don't have to follow with me, but in the introduction, if you have ever looked through um, maybe the Gospels and you've read some of the different accounts of, of, of Christmas and, and Jesus' birth and those different things, all throughout the Gospels, even in the Gospels, Jesus' name is given in a different manner. In Matthew 1 and verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. If you go down just a couple verses to Matthew 1 and verse 25, and it says, 
and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In Luke chapter number 2, in Luke chapter 2, which is a story that most people will read on Christmas Day, but in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If we were to go back in Mark chapter 1, it says that He is the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. If we go to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter number 9, in verse number 6, it says, For unto us, is a, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we see that all of those are different names that are given to Jesus. And I know that we're not going to go through every single name. And again, as those names are up on the, the, the screen this morning, you can kind of look at those. And there's a lot of names that we use for who Christ is. And there's different times in all of our lives where we would, we would say, Christ is our counselor. Christ is our comfort. Those motorcycles are loud. But uh, we would do a number of different things at different times in our lives where we need Christ to be our peace. We need Him to be our rock. He's our anchor. He's all of these things. And as you go through Scripture, there's a number of different names that are given for different circumstances of Christ. And so as we go these next four weeks, we're going to dive into the names of Christ, specifically the birth names of Christ. And so as we get into this, I'm going to jump in here just with some introduction, but as we look at Christmas, some of the greatest part of Christmas is sharing time with family, sharing time with friends. If you have kids, the greatest part of Christmas for them is Christmas gifts. They might tell you, oh, well, Jesus came, but when they're seven, they really don't care so much. They just want to open up their gifts. I'm at the age, or I'm at the stage with my children where they're starting to kind of understand the Christmas thing. So now when you see a television commercial come on, that's when you want to call all of the, the people and say, would you quit playing these commercials? Because everything that comes on, one of the kids says, I want that for Christmas. I want that for Christmas. I want that for Christmas. We get all of that, the family and the fun and the Christmas spirit of what that is and the gifts, and it's a blast. I love it at my house to, to see the kids opening up gifts and to be able to give gifts and things. But we understand Christmas to be about the birth of Christ. We understand that, that Jesus came for us. We understand also there's so many different things, but one of the great things, and we might, you may have not even thought of this, but the virgin conception was prophesied long before the birth. And we would know that going back. We just read that in Isaiah. But we also understand that and this is, again, I'm going to speak here, and this is something that as I studied, it just kind of jumped out at me. The virgin conception was supernatural. The birth itself was a birth like any other lady would have had. As we talk about some of these things, I want us to think real quickly on something that I'll kind of hit here. There's been five supernatural births in the Bible, Adam being one of them. If you go back to Genesis, Adam didn't have mom and dad. There was no conception. Adam was given to us. Eve being another. 
Eve was made out of the rib of Adam. If we look as we continue to go through the Old Testament, we have Isaac. We understand the story of Isaac, of his parents were well above age, and they were not at a place of conception, but supernaturally God gave them Isaac. John the Baptist was in a very, very similar situation with his parents being well over the age of conception. And then we see the birth or the the Jesus being born of a virgin. I want you to kind of bear with me here on this, but the virgin birth is of incredible significance. But I want us to stop for just a moment, just in the introduction. This is really the only time that I really hit on this, but this just kind of jumped out and punched me in the nose as I was studying, is this. The greatest part of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came as the incarnate Son. Jesus Christ came, if we go to John chapter 1, and again, you can go with me or maybe write it down, but in John chapter 1, in verse number 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The greatest part of all of Christmas is that the Word, Jesus Christ, came and dwelt among men. And that we would then study, and as we would go through, and as we would continue to go, we would understand that through that we have salvation, through that we have the death and the burial and the resurrection, through all of that we have what we have as far as Christianity is concerned. We have the Word of God, we have the Bible. But I never really thought and sat down and just, maybe I just never paid attention to it, because you talk about the birth, you talk about it, it's it's. Really, what we talk about basically through Christmas is the virgin birth. But the greatest part is truly God sending His Son as the incarnate to live the Word becoming flesh. Jesus Christ living, walking, talking, breathing with human beings as a human being on a daily basis. And I get that we talk about the birth and I get all of those things, but as I was studying some of the different names and as I was going through this, this is probably one of the things that just kind of jumped out at me. One of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter 2 and Philippians 2 and verse number 7. It says, but made himself, and this is If we go back in verse number 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest part of Christmas is something that we get to celebrate every single day is just what we just read, that Jesus Christ made Himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a man or of a servant, and became in likeness as you and I. And I would say it's probably not talked about nearly enough. 
just that, that the Word became flesh. One of the things that all of us as parents get to do is name our children. And I would guess we could probably go from corner of the room to corner of the room and we could ask questions to those of you that have kids and why did you name your kid what you named your child or your child what you named your child? Some of you might be like one of ours and say we liked the name and it went with the last name Flanagan, so we did that. Riley Bell has no significance to any part of her name other than we liked the name. You might say, well, there's significance. I'm sure there's significance somewhere. She's our child. We love her. But she's the oddball in every form of our family, so she has the odd name. But Riley Bell was literally, we heard the name, we liked the name. Riley and Bell went together with Flanagan, and we liked it. Every one of our children outside of Riley has a significance to their name. (laughs) Poor kid, she's going to... But Madison, Madison Ray, her middle name is named after someone in my family. Brindley Michelle. Michelle is Mindy's grandmother's daughter's name who passed away just a short time after birth. It's also my mother's name. Elijah Bennett. Elijah is my middle name, which is named after my, who I call grand, my grandfather, who is a hero of mine. That I said forever and ever and ever that I would have a son and his name would be Elijah. And then everybody else in my family ruined it. Both of my sisters have kids with Elijah's. But but regardless, Elijah was named after my grandfather. Bennett was after her grandfather. There's significance and there's meaning to those names. My name has a meaning. My middle name is named after my grandfather Elijah. Many of you would say, yeah, I'm named after somebody. Maybe you're a junior or a second, or maybe there's a name within your family. Our names have significance in many, many, many different avenues and areas. But as we look at Christ, and this is really the point of this whole thing, is as we look at Christ, we're going to go through, and there's so much significance to so many and all of the names that are given and used throughout Scripture for the names of, of Christ. And again, as I said, we can look at the screens and there's so many. Those are all different names of our Savior. This morning we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Luke chapter number 1. So if you want, we'll be there in Luke chapter 1. If you would join with me, we'll be in Luke for the rest of the the message this morning. In Luke chapter 1... We'll spend most of our time from verse 67 down to verse 80. Really at the latter part of that is where we'll spend most of our time. But we're looking here at Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist. And he was prophesying John's ministry. And as we we get into this, there's a a number of different things that are significant here. and, And we'll point out one name of Christ this morning that we'll use And we will discuss and talk about. But if we go down to verse number 76, Luke 1, 76, it says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the the day spring from on high hath visited us 
to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the, in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. What we see here is Zacharias basically in verse number 76 is talking about his son, John the Baptist, is going to be the prophet of the highest. I don't know about you, and I have four children of my own, and those of you that have children, there's nothing greater that you become more proud of than your kids. I could assume that my human brain and my thinking that if God or an angel came to me and said that my son was going to be a prophet of the highest, I could probably stand and say, my son is the prophet of the highest, and then stop there and brag and brag and brag about how great my son is going to be. I, I don't know what God will do with my children. But I pray that God would use my kids as they grow into adulthood, in ministry, whatever God would have for them. Will they be full-time in ministry? I have no idea. To be honest, I don't want to sound whatever. I don't care. If God would call them into full-time ministry, that would be awesome. If God calls my son to be a mechanic and he serves in his local church, that will be awesome. But I can imagine the pride of Zacharias as he stands there, as he's saying this thing, to think, my son would be the prophet of the highest. Think about that. Put your kid in any anything and just think of your son. Take your son or take a daughter or whatever and say, that son or daughter is going to be the prophet of the highest. Zacharias had a son. His son was to go before Jesus Christ and to let everybody know that God was coming. Jesus is coming. And just after that, in 76, he says that the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before his face of the Lord to prepare his ways. In verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. And there in 78 it says this, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today on this word. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. The word that we're going to spend time on today is day spring. The day spring is literally Christ was the day spring. Day spring means dawn. Dawn is the making or the marking of the twilight before the sunrise. Dawn can mean an appearance, a beginning. Dawn is to begin to become light in the morning. To begin to appear or develop or emerge. To begin to proceed, to be perceived or to be understood. The day spring on high is what it says, hath visited us. Or if we look at that, if you were to do some study on your own, the dawn from heaven will visit us. Or the Messiah from heaven will come. The messianic deliverance is often expressed as bursting forth of a great light. And we're going to hit on the Messiah here in this, this, the next few weeks, but the Messiah is the anticipated Savior. Zacharias was prophesying his son would be the prophet of the highest, which would speak, as we continue to go, it says in verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness. 
And as we look and as we'll go into this and take this, hopefully you can take it personally into your own life and look at the dawn or the day spring and you can look at God and, and Christ and how the light has shone into your life. When we look at going from dark darkness or the night into the, the dawn of the day, how that light just shines during the morning. And we'll go through some of those things this morning. But I wrote this, and this may be kind of silly, but John would be the flashlight for the sun that would come behind him. In the midst of a dark, dark world, John kind of had his little flashlight, and he would shine his little light, knowing that the Son of God would come as the light of the world. And here John is, can you just imagine, I don't know if you've ever went camping or whatever with no lights and you have your little flashlight and you're shining it, maybe you're really cool and you have a mag light, or maybe you're even a little bit cooler than that and you have one of the big things that you kind of hold and you, you know, it's like a spotlight. But you could take the brightest of flashlights and you can kind of picture that in your mind, John kind of going in the middle of a darkness and, and going through the world and saying, listen, Jesus is coming. The light of the world is coming. What I am is just, I'm just giving you a glimpse. I'm giving you a glimpse and the light that's coming behind me will shine forth brighter than any light that you can ever imagine. The effects of the day spring are great. The effects of the day spring are this or the effects of dawn are this. The shining exposes our sin. The shining warmths, revitalizes our hope and sorrow, and its light redirects our steps. And so as we get into the message this morning, the first point will be just that, exposing of our sin. The dawn or the day spring, Jesus Christ will come. The light that came is exposing of our sin. If we were to go to... John chapter number 1. In John chapter 1 and verse number 6, we see John the Baptist as kind of who he was and what he was doing. John chapter 1 and verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Zacharias was coming in, in Luke chapter 1 and he's presenting his son. He's prophesying of his son's ministry and prophesying of Christ who's coming behind him to give light to those that sit in darkness. Let's look at natural light just for a moment. Natural light is an illumination of an otherwise very dark world. Some say the darkest part of the night is just before dawn. I want us to think, look at our lives spiritually, look at your life spiritually, maybe, maybe before, even before you accepted Christ, if you stop and look at this, 
As I looked into the word darkness, as I was kind of doing my study, here's what I found the word darkness was. The thought of darkness in Scripture, and the word that is used in the context is literally, I don't know how to say it, but it's the darkest of the dark of the darks. As black, as dark as you can find and as you can imagine is the word that is being used here for darkness spiritually. The effects of sin in a life result not in a gloomy darkness, but in a blinding darkness of which there is no light at all. What is darkness? Darkness is the what? The absence of light. And when we look at sin and when we look at our lives and we look at what God did, the dawn, the day spring that we're talking about here this morning, it says that He came to give light to them that sit in darkness. Many of us, all of us that know Christ, sat at one point in that darkness. The darkness of our sin is so dark that it hides itself. Sin is hidden by darkness. Think about that. Our sin is hidden by its own sin, by its own darkness. Once you get yourself in a rut of sin, whether it's addictions or whether it's whatever it is, we do what? We make excuses. We make reasoning out of why we can continue to do it because sin hides itself. If we were to really look inside of ourselves and truly take a deep, dark picture of sin, all of us would say, I want no part of that. But we glaze over it Because the sin in our lives causes us to look beyond the sin in our lives because sin is so deep and so dark and so nasty that it hides itself. And as we look at this thought, this thought of darkness to give light to them that sit in darkness is incredible. I don't know how many of you ever get a chance, maybe you're not awake, I'm not always awake, but to see a sunrise. One of the things, there's two things I absolutely love about Las Vegas. One is sunrise when I'm awake to see it. One is sunset. To me, it's just absolutely gorgeous to see the sun rise and set on the mountains. But as we think of sunrises, As the sun comes up, the full light of day has yet to hit. We're still kind of a little bit of gloom. There's a lot of shadows. There's a lot of things that are that are over kind of we just don't see everything. What makes the mountains so beautiful in the sunrise is part of it is the shadows of the the mountains and how they hit and the different things. And even over the city, the valley there, as we look at that, it gives and it casts that shadow as the sun continues to rise and then. The shadows go away, and as they come back, the shadows go or come back as the sun sets. But when we look at that and we start thinking about that spiritual life, we see how Christ allows that sun to rise. The dawn comes up. It's not yet fully showing, and we begin to see glimpses of our own life. As Christ reveals himself piece by piece before we come to know Christ. For most of you that have 
came to know Christ, there was a story, there was a time, there was a place where God jumped in and just radically changed you. You got to a place in your life where you realized and you knew and you understood, I need a Savior. The darkness that was within you, the day spring or the dawn came and began to show you glimpses of himself. And you said, I need that, I need that, I need that. And the more that you grow and the more that you know him, the shadows kind of disappear. And you begin to know and you begin to have that relationship with Christ. The same thing that takes place as the sun comes up and we begin to lose the shadows and we see the fullness of the brightness of the day. It may be the first glimpse of light that you've ever seen. And you naturally become almost confused. As an unbeliever, you you hear the gospel and you you understand, I need that. And you start to see a glimpse of that light and the glimpse of that hope. But your, your mind is, wait, that doesn't make sense. There's that confusion. Maybe that's what it is. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 4 and verse uh, 46 and 47, I am so lying to you. I completely typed wrong. See, I have, man, I've been doing good on that too. Well, I'm not going to even continue to go there because I wrote that wrong. But anyway... The light floods in, and basically what, we, what I was going to was in Corinthians. Apparently, I will find that verse. Maybe I'll give it to you tonight. But in Corinthians, it shares that as the new man comes, and it talks about that Jesus Christ coming in and Jesus Christ giving us those things. And it speaks of some of that, almost the flood of light that comes in as we understand who God is and who, who Jesus is, and, and, and as we look at that. In John chapter 8, Hopefully this is the right one. In John chapter 8, in verse number 7, John 8, verse 7, it says, So when they continued asking him, and this is the story of the, um, the adulterous woman, but when they continued asking him, he lifted up, his, up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and rode on the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one beginning at the eldest even unto the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw no one but the woman he said unto her woman where are those thine accusers hath no man condemned thee she said no man Lord and Jesus said unto her neither do I condemn thee go and sin no more as we look at this passage of scripture Jesus Christ, again, if we go back to John 1, it said what? And the Word became flesh. The conviction was only the Word of God that spoke true into these men's lives. And they which heard it being convicted, that word convicted is literally just this, to bring to light and to expose. When I am convicted, I'm brought to light and I am exposed of the things that are in me. The sun is setting or the sun is rising and I am being shown the light, and I'm seeing it, and the darkness is being overtaken by light, and I'm convicted, I am exposed of that sin. Each one of those men, each one of those people that stood by there speaking of her sin, as God said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. 
And each, one by one, began to walk away as they were convicted of their own sin. Another thing that that the day spring or the dawn does is it revitalizes our hope. As we look at our natural light and we look at the things of, of just every day, we see that the day spring from on high brings the morning warmth. In verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. As we look at this, it brings us what the sun is. What does the sun do? The sun brings us warmth. Every day, one of the things as it comes up, it gets warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer. And as the sun starts to set again, it goes back to cool. In the morning, the the dew that's on the grass and on the leaves of the trees the frost that maybe has settled over the ground, the flowers that were, were withered and kind of closed up, they see the sun and they turn and they begin to, to bloom. The flowers of the field turn up and open to absorb the light and the heat of the sun. The animals which hid in the darkness come out from the cold and dangers of the evening. The people that live in, in primitive lands that maybe live under the sun and they, they uncover themselves and they get ready for themselves, they begin to see what the day holds. And as I said, they, in verse 79, to sit in darkness, and in that, this section here is into, in the shadow of death. Light was a great symbol of the Messiah. Light, what does light do? Oftentimes, most criminals don't go in broad daylight and just do what they've got to do. Most of them go and they wait for a dark spot. They wait for some place that's hidden. They, they wait for the darkness. But as we look at this, light scares criminals as they are exposed. Light is safety for some. Light symbolizes so many things. And as we look here, our sorrow, the day spring from on high, shines and revitalizes how often have we been discouraged? How often have we as a Christian been, been kind of hidden off into a shadow, been hidden away because we've been hurt, hidden away just waiting for the day spring to kind of shine that light, give us that warmth, revitalize our lives, so to speak, to the comfort and the peace that we need in our lives. There was a period of my time where, or my life where I was hurt. And I kind of just hid off into the corner underneath of a shadow. Didn't really want too many people to know anything. Didn't want too many people to, to see who I was. But as that light began to shine brighter and brighter and brighter and the shadows went away, the revitalization of what Christ is and who Christ is, that day spring from on high that came into my life personally, I felt that peace, I felt that comfort, I felt that joy, and I felt the desire then to get back involved as God revitalized who I was and what I was doing. Don't ever forget as we live daily in the darkness of this world that the day spring shines a light which the darkness cannot hide. As people hurt us, the day spring shines a light which darkness cannot hide. We live in the midst of a dark, perverse world where human beings. But Jesus Christ shines the light and revitalizes us. The last point this morning is redirecting our steps. Again in verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of the death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 
As we look at this, again, a very simple thought. We could take this passage and go to, to Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, and, and look there and, and understand of that whole passage of Scripture talking about guiding our steps and lighting our feet. We could go to, to Proverbs um, in verse 16, or chapter 16. It speaks of the same thing of, of God shedding the light and directing our paths. And, and I know for me personally, I need my life to be directed on a regular basis. Regularly, I need God's light to shine and direct the paths that I'm taking. Oftentimes, He will direct it, and I'll begin to walk, and I'll go on a different path, and I'll need to be redirected. The light shines and gives us direction. I don't know if you've ever been hiking or maybe been somewhere without a a guide or a direction. Men, I'm sure none of you have ever been lost anywhere. Your wives would probably say something different. But many times, what do we do? We get in the car, oh, I know where I'm going. Men, I'm sure women, you don't do this. But we go. And we get going. And our ride becomes now the scenic ride. Nice, romantic, scenic ride where your wife is saying, Honey, where are you? Oh, I'm just taking this route and we're going to go over here. What the direction? We had no direction. We needed somebody to direct our paths. I'll never forget, we were in Virginia in college and we were going to take a a ride up through the mountains and just kind of get away. We got away. I have no idea where we were, but we ended up about two hours from where we were supposed to be. And I knew where we were when we found the main highway. I'm like, oh, this takes us all the way out here. But what was it? I was driving. I had no directions. Well, sure, if I take this road, I know this road turns into this road, and I will get there. So I'm just going to turn here, and we'll go here. And we often do that in our lives and we joke about it and the joke with men oh we don't need directions you get a box full of stuff and you throw the directions away and you just figure it out and then you figure out why you had 12 extra pieces but the reality of spiritually we need the light to direct our paths it says there in 79 to guide our feet into the way of peace there is no peace i'm sorry guys there is no peace driving in the middle of a mountain in virginia because i said that i didn't need directions and i wasn't going to stop and ask at some point, I was thinking to myself, I hope I don't run out of gas. I hope we don't break down because I have no idea where I'm at. There became a, a point in that drive that began as a nice romantic drive just through the mountains of beautiful Virginia that was in my mind going, holy cow, where am I? My grandmother lives in West Virginia at about 150 acres. There was plenty of times as a kid where we would start walking and then I'd go, where am I? And me and my cousins or my own family, we would, hey, let's, well, we know grandma's down there somewhere. But we need direction. We need guidance. We need all of those things that God's Word provides for us, that Jesus provides for us, that the day spring provides for us, that so many times we attempt to just run from. In Psalm 119, 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We often quote it. 
We teach our kids that, hey, you got to hide God's word in your heart. you got to hide God's word in your heart. We've got to know scripture. we got to know scripture. Why do we do that? So it can light our path. So it can be the light that we don't have. We need directions. The day spring that Zacharias was prophesying of in Luke chapter 1 was a day spring, the dawn, the light that was coming that was going to guide our feet and give us the peace that we never could have experienced outside of Him. As we wrap up this morning, I, I know I didn't hit on some, some things, but in verse 77 and 78 it says that to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. As we look at that, Zacharias was saying that his son was going to be the prophet of the highest. He was going to go before to shed that light. And what it was, was to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. And I don't know where each and every one of you are this morning I'm going to assume most of you would say, yeah, I, already, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've experienced the day spring. I've experienced the dawn in my life spiritually as a Christian. The light that came up over the mountain, I experienced that little bit of a shadow. Then I experienced the glimpse and the, the hope that Christ is. The light and the shine, the brightness of who Christ is. But some of you may not have ever experienced that. One of the things that it says as we wrap up this morning in verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God. I'm going to explain and give a definition of what tender mercy is in Scripture. The mercy of the bowels of our heart of God. Or mercy which springs from the innermost seed of His, exist- of his existence. I don't know how many of you have been to a place where you hurt so bad that you, you were almost sick. Maybe it was a decision. Maybe it was something that came up in your life. Maybe it was just plain guilt. Maybe it was whatever it was. But literally, your stomach was just turning in knots and you were sick to your stomach. Jesus Christ says, or what it says here is, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. God in His tender mercy, in the bowels of His heart, in the innermost part of who He is, gives us that love and mercy that we don't, we don't, we don't deserve. The beginning part of this, which I didn't read, we've got Zacharias was desiring a national deliverance of Israel. And the part that we just went through was the desire for a personal deliverance, which came from the day spring from on high. Listen, as we start into the different names of Christ, and we'll get into a number of different things, but God came. God sent His Son to become flesh. The Word became flesh that we could have everlasting life. That we could have hope, that we could have joy, that we could have peace, that we could have what Christ has offered to us. He sent His Son, the day spring, the dawn, that we would see a light, that we could get a glimpse, that we could have hope in that light. 
And I don't know this morning if you have accepted Christ and maybe you're in the spot of, of your life and in that the second point of revitalizing our hope. Maybe you need revitalized again. Maybe you know Jesus Christ, but but you're as a Christian, you're just kind of hiding off into a shadow somewhere and you're you're feeling kind of down and you don't understand the hurt and you don't understand why and, and you're just almost kind of moping for yourself a little bit. Well, the day spring, God, Jesus Christ, came to shine the light, to give you the light, to bring you out of that shadow, to then redirect our steps, to redirect our path. The light, when convicted of sin by light, we understand the horror of darkness. Do you remember that spot? When you were convicted of your sin as an unbeliever where the utter terror of your sin made you stop dead in your tracks and say, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I don't understand this thing. I don't know why I feel this way, but the light shone on you and you needed a Savior today. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and You're at the spot where you've not made a decision for Christ, but you sense the darkness. And you're sensing the the understanding of the horror of the sin, the darkness, the penalty of what that sin is. And God sent His Son to shine the light that allows us to see Him. Where we can follow that light that He's directed for each and every one of us. And so this morning, as we discussed, as we talked about the day spring from on high, the light that was shined, that the dawn of the day, so to speak, spiritually for our lives. I don't know what jumped out at you. Maybe it's something as simple as you're a Christian and you just need to be revitalized. You need your steps to be redirected. Maybe you are unsaved and the exposing of your sin has been hitting you and you've, you've sensed the light, you've seen that light, so to speak, the shadows, and you've, you've, you've understood it, but you're kind of confused by it, whatever it would be. And you just need to say, God, here it is. It's yours. I fought it. I don't understand it completely, but I'm giving it to you. I don't know where you're at this morning, but as we close... We'll have a verse of invitation in just a moment. Maybe you would come.